Welcome back to the Spirit's Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating spirit world. And on this episode, I go hunting. Now, <clears throat> I know in the bourbon world, in the whiskey world, hunting is a big you know, part of the adventure. And everybody's hunting unicorns. They're out hunting for Pappy and Weller and Birthday Bourbon and Old Fitzgerald. You know, in, in all those specialty releases... The things I like to hunt are the things I can't find at home. So, you know, whenever I'm out of state in another, you know, even when I'm in state in another city or another town, like I'm always checking out the stores there. But when you go out of state, you have access to bottles that just aren't here because of the way liquor distribution is set up in this country. You know, every state gets to decide how things are distributed. You know, in New Hampshire, the state owns all the liquor stores, much the same way in Pennsylvania. In Massachusetts, they're all independently owned, and there's different systems at play there. So, you know, and because of that, distilleries and, you know, people like Pernod Ricard and Constellation and Diageo, they don't send all of their whiskey to all the states for a variety of reasons. Either they don't think it will sell here, or, you know, they might not make a million cases so they can distribute it to every state. There might be, you know, 100,000 cases and they're only going to distribute it to certain states. For whatever reason, you can find different things in different states. Sometimes it's just a local distillery, you know, that's only available in that particular state. So there's a lot of different reasons involved, but those are the things that I like to hunt. Now, on this episode, I specifically chose four bottles that I have bought in the state of New Hampshire. I mean, I have bottles that are from other states as well, but for this one, I just focused on New Hampshire. And these, again, aren't the stereotypical unicorn bourbon hunter bottles, but they're the kind of bottles that I love hunting for. And so we talk about them. Uh, Brands like New Riff, uh... Bladen Bow, Smoky Quartz, um, Belfour Rye. So, you know, they're whiskeys that are kind of just everyday whiskeys that I guess if they were here in Mass, you'd go like, oh, no, no, they're, you know, they're everyday whiskeys that'd be on the shelf everywhere, but they're not here in Mass. And that makes me curious as to what they taste like. And they're just, you know, when you, you look at the same sort of shelf set in my store and then you go to other stores and you go to a Total Wine and you go to Wegmans, you start to recognize a lot of the same brands. So when you get to another state, like it almost stimulates your brain to go like, whoa, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that before. What's that? And so you get this sort of reinvigorating curiosity about trying whiskey. So that's what this is about. Some, you know, I'm not claiming that these are going to replace your happy or your birthday bourbon they're just really good everyday whiskeys that just happen to not be available here in massachusetts at this time um but they're really good so if you see them out in the wild definitely grab them bring them back home put them on your bar they make a great statement and it's great juice um so hopefully you guys enjoy this and have some fun with it like i did uh if you like what i'm doing here please go to the podcast page, follow it, and give it a rating and review. Um, Well, you can't really review on the the podcast page on Spotify, but what you can do is follow me on Facebook and Instagram because there you can leave reviews and comments about the podcast. You know, I'm posting things almost every day of what I'm drinking, what I'm reading, uh, you know, what I'm watching, all the things that I'm doing while consuming spirits. Um, And if you need to reach me, if you have a sample that you're curious as to my opinion of, um, if there's something that I've tried here on the show where you're like, hey, that sounds really good, I'd love to try that. If you're over 21 and you're close by, I will do everything I can in my power to get you a sample. If you've got a show idea or if you want to come hang out, geek out about movies, music, books, whatever, drink some cool spirits, email me spiritsguide89 at gmail.com I'll get right back to you I'm always looking for cool people to hang out with and geek out with Um, that really is the joy of kind of the spirits world to me so all right, hope you guys enjoy this episode it was a lot of fun for me to make and 
and uh yeah we'll talk to you guys soon cheers All right, so we're talking about bottles that I've gotten from other states, and these aren't necessarily, you know, like I've mentioned, they're they're not necessarily incredible unicorns. They're nothing, you know, on the status symbol stage. You know, they're nothing of any great significance. They're just things that aren't available to me here in Massachusetts that, you know, I may have read about in publications or seen somewhere online that, you know, I was looking to get, or just, you know, when I go away in, in travel and I spend a lot of time up in New Hampshire cause it's, you know, close by, it's an easy drive. I go to see a lot of concerts up there. So, you know, two or three times a year, at least maybe four or five, I'm in a New Hampshire state liquor store. And so I'm always just looking for things that I can't get here um, by no means am I traveling to fucking New Hampshire to find Blanton's or Weller or any of that stuff, or, you know, even like a Michter's 10 or a birthday bourbon and old fits. Like I'm not hunting for those kinds of unicorns. I'm just looking for things that I can't get around here. Things that may be interesting. I don't know, just something different. You know, I do it within the state of Massachusetts. I love to go to other stores besides mine and see, you know, what they carry. But there are certain things that are just, they're off the table completely that as much as I look for them in Massachusetts, for whatever reason, through distribution, they're just not available here. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple of them. So the first one that I'm going to taste, talk about, rate, review, hear that little clink in there uh this is one that i've actually kind of read about i've seen online and it was one that for whatever reason i just wanted to i wanted to try the the story sounded cool to me at least at first and they had released a 22 year whiskey and i was kind of fascinated by that and the fact that it's coming out of stetzel weller it's kind of a fascinating story there so, yeah, right to it. The first thing I'm tasting is Blade and Bow. And this comes from my most recent trip up to New Hampshire. I was up there for a trade show. I get to spend some time in Manchester, New Hampshire. Cool city. Um, it, it's got like an old kind of Boston feel to it. Sort of lacks the charm of like a Salem mass. Ton of great restaurants. So great, great food scene. And, you know, as always, when you're in New Hampshire, New Hampshire State liquor stores get different stuff and interesting stuff. And this is one that I had been looking for for a while. The last time I actually saw a bottle of Blade and Bow, I was in Portland, Oregon, and I just couldn't fit any more liquor into my luggage. And I think at the time, the price was a little high. So I paid around 50 for this this time which, you know, maybe three years ago, four years ago, 50 was almost like a luxury spend. Now, with the way everything else has gone up in price, some of those $50 bottles are still $50. They don't really seem like luxury spends anymore. Just a little bit more uh, than what you might normally pay. But it's, it's not that far kind of out of reach anymore. So Blade and Bow. Here's what I don't like right off the top. So it's a Diageo product. Diageo, which is a giant global liquor conglomerate. They own all kinds of stuff. Uh, they're the people who own Bullet. They own Glen Morangi. They own Captain Morgan and Smirnoff and Kettle One. Uh, they just own a bunch of major liquor brands. And, you know, they wanted a stronger presence in the bourbon world, so they bought the Stitzel Weller Distillery. Fair enough. They're using that to market the hell out of this. It's all over the packaging. It's all over the storytelling of the whiskey that's in this bottle. And, you know, 
I love a great story as much as the next guy. I like it even more when it's true. I like it a little less when it's it's kind of pandering and inferring things that may or may not be true, which I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to take a shot. That's kind of Diageo's thing. I don't even want to get into the bullet fake backstory there. Blade and Bow. Here's the story of Blade and Bow as a name in the marketing. Blade and Bow is named after keys. So on a skeleton key, the length of the skeleton key is referred to as the blade. That sort of circle, the head of the key, um, not the part that you put in the lock, but the other end, that's called a bow. So blade and bow is a skeleton key, basically. Now, in the Stitzel Weller distillery, during the time when Pappy Van Winkle was running the show, they used to keep a set of five skeleton keys on the wall to represent things that had to do with bourbon production. And I might get this wrong. Uh, grain, maybe yeasts, distillation, uh, aging. I don't, there's, there's five principles of bourbon. I don't remember them off the top of my head right now because it's not really... It's more story and allegory. So, Blade and Bow is a Solera bourbon, but it's not listed as a Solera bourbon, which Dave Peckerel at Hill Rock actually get to be a federal classification. Solera bourbon is an actual classification of bourbon. So they don't actually refer to it as Solera. You have to look on the website to kind of figure out what that is. What does that mean? What does that infer? Well, if you go to their website, it talks about how, you know, it's the Stitzel Weller, the quote unquote historic Stitzel Weller distillery that they bought. And they're basically, I don't think they're actually distilling anything there. They're using it more as a visitor center, an aging facility, maybe even a bottling facility. But I'm pretty sure they're not actually distilling anything at Stitzel Weller. I believe that's the new home of bullet as well and again i don't want to digress into my rantings about bullet but according to their website you know they have these old stocks of stitzel weller whiskey and old stocks of whiskey that they're aging at stitzel weller and what happens is when you have a solera system you might have a barrel that you know is the oldest barrel you have and you take half of that maybe three quarters of it you dump it out what we call vatting. So you dump it into like a major cask, a, a big giant, you know, big giant vessel where you're kind of blending some barrels together. But that oldest barrel, you never actually empty. And what you do is you take the next oldest barrel and you use that to top off the oldest barrel. And then you kind of go backwards to, you know, the next sort of youngest and you, and you keep kind of topping off these barrels. So the barrel that you're using for bottling never goes empty. So in theory, you have really old whiskey in there. And so they infer, they infer that there's still some Stitzel Weller juice in there from the days of Pappy, which was some of the juice that Julian Van Winkle uh, used for the original kind of Pappy bottlings. I don't know that that's necessarily true, they never actually come right out and say, like, this is the same juice that went into the original Pappy. And all the Pappy that people rave about nowadays is all coming out of Buffalo Trace. Anyway, so, you know, there's no real relationship there. But they do actually put Stitzel Weller on the label. So Blade and Bow and Stitzel Weller Distillery, you know, established 2000. Does that say? Oh, yeah. No. So. Yeah, it just says Stitzel Weller Distillery on the label, uh, prominent in a few places. 90.1 proof, or is it 91? Yeah, 91 proof. So, I don't know, it's a cool bottle. I, I think they're kind of going after the Blanton's thing a little bit. Uh, again, you hear that clanking. There's a skeleton key around the neck of the bottle, and there are five keys for you to collect. Quite honestly, I don't know what you get if you collect them. And in all reality, it's available in New Hampshire. So it's not like I'm going back up five times 
to get five of these bottles to collect all the keys. But I did really want to try this because I've seen it out there. I kind of like the packaging. It's it's simple, uh, but it's a cool bottle shape. All right. Enough sort of backstory. Let's just get into it. Is it good? This is a tough one. And quite honestly, full disclosure, I tasted this a couple of times before I sat down to record this. And I wanted to see if it opened up. This is... It's a weird, unique whiskey in that... There's something about it that's really, really good. And then there's something about it that... The way it sits in the mouth, like there's good flavors, without a doubt. There's nothing wrong with the quality of the whiskey here. It's got all your typical bourbon flavors, soft oak. It's a little sweet, a little nutty, caramel, vanilla, butterscotch. It's not a cherry bomb. It just tastes like really good bourbon. Now, for 50 bucks, maybe this is where the market's at, but... I kind of want it to taste like I don't like I want something else to come through in this. Obviously, in a Solaris system, there's younger whiskeys in here. Obviously, in a Solaris system, there's older whiskeys in here. I feel like instead of one being highlighted over the other, um, it just sort of blends everything out. Uh, it's, I, when I taste it, I don't know what I want more of. I just know that there's something I want more of, whether it's a more oak presence or a more sweetness presence or a more tannin presence, or there's just, it's just a really good whiskey, but there's nothing, there's just nothing special about juice you know it's it's good I, I i wish i had more i wish i could say like this is great it's amazing it's worth the 50 bucks drive to new hampshire and get one now and i wish i could say like hey this stuff sucks it's not worth the 50 bucks at all don't waste your time going to new hampshire for this it, there's almost a weird in difference of like eh, it's good but it's not great but it, it's a I don't, this may be a new classification for the spirits guide when it comes to whiskey this is a butt whiskey like i, I like it but it's not great but it, there's yeah i can't put all the pieces together on it um and if any of you guys out there are listening to this and you haven't had this, please reach out to me, the spirits guide 89 at gmail.com. Stop by the store, watch you sit wine and spirits in West Boylston. Message me on Facebook or, you know, Instagram. I will be more than happy to pour off a sample of this to share it with you, you guys. Cause I, I want another opinion. I I'm really stumped on this whiskey i just don't it, it's a solid three out of five it's it's not great it's not terrible it's just a really good whiskey that happens to cost 50 bucks so is it good it, yeah yeah it's good um is it worth the money three years ago it wouldn't have been worth 50 bucks now 50 bucks i'm like yeah all right yeah that's kind of where the market's at for things right now. You know, the price of everything is going up. So 50 bucks doesn't seem that outrageous to me anymore. Does the bottle start a conversation? Yeah, I'll give it that. The bottle definitely starts a conversation, um, especially if you've seen it, you know, Whiskey Advocate Online. You've, you've seen some, some guys do reviews of it or girls do some reviews of it, you know, on YouTube shows or other podcasts you've heard about it. When somebody walks into your house, they obviously can't find it in Massachusetts. So if it's any one of my friends, 
yeah, if somebody walks into your house, they're going to see that bottle. They've never seen it on a shelf in Massachusetts, at least. They're going to ask you what that is and if it's any good. It'll start a conversation. It's something you can share. Um, yeah. Um, in the grading system, is it a taster, a sipper, or a drinker? I mean, I'm glad I got to taste it. It tastes really good. It's it's appealing. Um, so is it a taster? Yeah. Is it a sipper? Of course, yeah. I would sit and sip this all night, which makes it actually kind of a drinker. And even though I've got to go back to New Hampshire to replace it, I think I could just sit back, knock this down at that under 100 proof point, drink it. And when it's gone, I'm going to be happy that I had it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to replace it. I, I recommend having it in your collection, but I don't think it's going to be one of those bottles where you go like, oh, I've got to have another bar backup of this before I kill it. There it is. Blade and Bow. I got it up in Manchester, New Hampshire. Now, the next bottle that I'm going to dig into, and I'm going to apologize to you guys immediately because I've been waiting to fucking dig in on this one for a long time. I have held off on this for so many reasons because I thought that maybe my disappointment would subside by now but it really hasn't and what i'm talking about is smoky quartz distillery their bourbon whiskey small batch we talk about bourbon we talk about stories we talk about the pride and the passion and the people behind it this i i go to hampton beach you know Again, for concerts, three, four, sometimes five or six summer times a summer every year. Last year, I was up there to go see one of my all-time favorites and one of the all-time greats, the last living legend of blues, Buddy Guy. And, you know, I had always wanted to visit this, this distillery because they're very close to Hampton Beach. And so, you know, we were up there last year. My girlfriend was kind enough to get us you know, tickets to tour the distillery, which is basically just a cabin in the middle of an industrial park. I don't know. We got there. There was four of us on the tour. Um, and really, the guy who owns the company, the first thing that turned me up, like, I get it. So the, the premise of the company is that there are five members of the same family who are all in the military. That is incredibly admirable. Nothing but the highest level of respect for that. Here's where it goes sideways for me. He tells me while he's in a foxhole in Afghanistan or Iraq, I forget which one of those two sort of shitty situations he was in. He's basically reading the Wall Street Journal or some sort of business journal where it talks about how craft distilleries are the next big investment. And this is obviously a few years back. So when he gets back from the military... He decides that, you know, hey, that's where the money's at. So that's where I'm going to put my money in. on. No story about how his family was distilling. This was his dream. His passion was to distill. He got into it because he read it in a business journal that craft distilling was the next craze. Then he goes on to whine about how, you know, his brother should be there on a Sunday conducting tours, but he's not. And it's OK. He later talks about how, you know, he should be distilling today, but he just doesn't feel like it. Now, if you're a craft distillery and you're in New Hampshire and you have contracts with the state of New Hampshire to get product on the shelf, this is every craft distillery's fucking dream that there is a demand for your product. You better make more. By making more, you can make more money, which is why you get into the business to begin with. And yet you're telling me that on a Sunday when you've got nothing else going on except waiting around all day for a tour of four people to come through. And by the way, you literally walk into basically the counter space and then you take two steps to the left and you're looking at the distillery. That is the length of the tour. It, it is all takes place within a 10 foot walk from the, you know, sort of front counter where he does the tastings into the room where he does the distilling. Factually, he was way off on all his distilling. Uh, at one point, 
telling me that all the most of the whiskey in America comes from Illinois, at which point I had to correct him and say Indiana. And he said, well, yeah, it's that uh, MPI thing. And I was like, MGP. And he said, yeah, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the big boys. Anybody who drinks whiskey and is part of the bourbon community knows what the fuck MGP is. If you're a distiller and you consider yourself part of the bourbon industry from that side of it, and you don't know who MGP is, and you get confused whether or not they're in Indiana or Illinois, you're clearly not paying attention or passionate not only about your own product, but about the industry and other products as well. So immediately, I am turned off. Uh, misquoted the day that bourbon became America's spirit. Turned off by that. Turned off by all the misinformation um, turned off by the fact that he's using a hundred percent corn in his whiskey because he just wanted to keep it simple. Then he proceeds to tell us that, you know, his whiskey isn't going to be complex and have a ton of flavors because he only uses corn, 100% corn, and then some sort of barley enzyme to trigger the fermentation. I am incredibly turned off. He goes on to explain how, you know, if you distill this to a certain, you know, amount of times it becomes vodka. But if you distill it this amount of times, it, it's a whiskey. The whole thing was just convoluted and, and garbage. And he kept, you know, pulled the vodka out of the, the freezer for the tasting, which clearly will mute all the flavors. Um, there was just so much wrong with everything, uh, you know, talking about using 10-gallon whiskey barrels to accelerate the aging, talking about how you've got contracts with you know, the New Hampshire State Liquor Commission uh, to be in all these stores, but you don't feel like making any more product, uh, complaining about how you couldn't get into uh, a restaurant called The Goat, which is, you know, if you've been to Hampton Beach, you know The Goat. The Goat is the same people who own Wally's. It's the same people who own The Green Zone. In fact, when I was just up in Manchester recently, there's a goat restaurant there. So these are people who know what they're doing. They've got some bars and restaurants, you know, not only at Hampton Beach, but around New Hampshire complaining. So all he did was complain about how they wouldn't take his product in. And, you know, the whole whining of it's a pay to play kind of thing. Here's the reality of it. His product for a 375 milliliter, which I bought. But because I feel like I'm obligated if I go and I do the tour like that, I really should buy. And I was so kind of annoyed at at, at one point, literally, I, I looked at my girlfriend who looked back at me and just kind of gave me this look of like, yeah, I get it. You're fucking smarter than this guy. Now, I give him credit. He's distilling. I'm not a chemist. I'm not a distiller. I don't know that part of it. But man, if you're going to be in this business, if you're going to be in this industry, know your history because bourbon is all about selling stories. And if that's the story you're selling, man, terrible. So Smoky Quartz, what I paid for the 375 is about what I would have paid for a 750 of Knob Creek, which I've been to the goat and they carry Knob Creek. Uh, Jim Beam Black, Maker's Mark, a lot of the stuff from the Jim Beam portfolio, which on a price equivalency blows this stuff out of the water. And on a quality, yeah, it does as well. All right, enough ranting. I apologize for that. Let's give it a fair shake and kind of taste it up. Now, here's the thing. It's not terrible tasting. You know, it's... I think it's aged like six months in small barrels. It's 90 proof, 100% corn. It's sweet, like kind of candy corn or Cracker Jacks, but without the nuttiness to them. It's a sweet one-note whiskey that... Is it good? Yes, it it's good. It's well-made. I get that. You know, it's soft. It's sweet. It's accessible. 
And, you know, I felt bad because the other two people who were on the tour with us were this kind of cute young couple who, you know, were just kind of dazzled that there was a, a local distillery and, you know, you could tell like they were just getting into whiskey and this was kind of fascinating and they were probably never going to go down the rabbit hole that I've gone down and some of you guys go down. And I get that. And in some ways, my criticisms may be a little unfair um, in relation to customers like that, because, you know, as you know, my girlfriend had to point out to me when we get out to the car of like, it's probably not every day that he runs into a customer like me. I get that. That being said, don't treat your customers like an idiot. Put the time in, learn your history, you know, and and be correct about what you say. And don't whine the whole time you're giving a tour to people who actually are interested in learning about your distillery. All right. Sorry. I'll stop. Again, I've been waiting a long time to get this off my chest. Uh, In fact, after we had went, we got an email about, you know, because we had bought the tickets for the tour online. Like, hey, do you want to give a review of, you know, the distillery and what you thought? And I didn't because it's not in my nature to be that cruel. Uh, But this one really kind of blew me away for how just off it was. So one more sip. Mm. All right. Three tiered rating system. Is it good? It's good. It's soft. It's sweet. It's whiskey for people who aren't looking for a ton of complexity. Honestly, I don't even know that I would mix this with like cola because I think cola might overpower it. This almost would be better in like a seven up or a ginger ale, like a like a VO and ginger or a seven and seven style kind of highball. I might use this in a Manhattan if I had some cheap vermouth around like a martini and Rossi. Maybe that. It wouldn't hold up in an old-fashioned Boulevardier, anything like that. Is it good? Yeah, it's okay. Um, is it worth the money? For the money I spent on this pint, I can buy seven fifty of twenty other whiskeys that I would be far happier with. So, quality price ratio? No. If you want to support local and you want to support military. Yeah, it's worth the money. It's it's fine. Uh, but I think once you try it, it's pretty much a one-time buy. Um, does the bottle start a conversation? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's got a decent kind of label. It's a distillery that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, so that might spark a little bit of a conversation. Um, is this a taster, a sipper, or a drinker? Yeah, I mean, this is a drinker. You, you bought it. You're stuck with it. Just throw it in a glass, pound it down, move it on, and, you know, be able to tell your friends that you've had it. But I I can't imagine any sort of serious whiskey drinker really revisiting this. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a drinker. All right. Sorry. Hate to bring that kind of negativity to the podcast, but I also try to be honest, so... Yeah, there it is. I'm going to take a break, catch my breath, and uh, come back with a couple more bottles that have been gotten out of state that you can't find here in Mass, uh, but aren't necessarily the unicorns that everybody else hunts. All right. Go grab a glass of water. Come back. We're going to drink some more. All right, we're back. I, I guess I want to start out by, I guess, apologizing for going on that little uh, smoky quartz rant there. You know, sometimes I get a little out of control and kind of speak from the, the gut. Um, but yeah, let's let's get rid of that negative energy and keep things moving here. And what we're talking about here are what to me are unicorns, but not in the traditional sense of you know, people out there hunting for birthday bourbon and old fits and obviously Pappy and Weller and, you know, all those 
quote-unquote unicorns. To me, the unicorns and the things that I like to go out hunting for are things that I can't find or things that I don't see every day or things that are unique and different. So, you know, it's one of the things that I love about going to another state because every state has its own sort of distribution setup. You know, there are things that I used to be able to get in Pennsylvania when I was down there that I couldn't get here. Or you go to Florida and there's a whole another set of things. When I was out in Oregon, like you just look on the shelf and you're like, I've never seen any of this before. That's the stuff that gets me excited. Things that are different, um, new, and potentially exciting. So, you know, like I said, I spent a lot of time up in New Hampshire going to conferences and concerts and all kinds of stuff, you know, just getting away and going to the beach. Love it up there. Great breweries. And, you know, I stop in the New Hampshire liquor store and they've always got something that I haven't seen before or that I have seen before. I just have never been able to see in Massachusetts. And that's kind of the journey we're on here. So the next bottle that I'm going to crack, and this is one that I had read about uh, for a while, and I didn't even know it was available in the United States. And then I walked into a New Hampshire state liquor store last year, and there it was on the shelf. This is the Belfour Rye. Now, the bottle is gorgeous, so that grabbed my attention right away. It's If you've never seen the bottle, the best way I can describe it is sort of a... Uh, if you combined the I.W. Harper 15-year, that square decanted bottle, um, with some of the special offerings of Jack Daniels, that sort of tall kind of rectangular bottle, but it's got like the kind of band around the top and the band around the bottom. It really looks like a hybrid of I.W. Harper 15 and maybe Jack Daniels Sinatra blend. And then, you know, it's corked and yeah, it's a great looking bottle. Caught my eye. It was on sale. I hadn't seen it. Like I said, I didn't even know that it was available in the U.S. And so I grabbed it and I was not disappointed. So here's a little bit on the Belfour Rye. If the name Belfour sounds familiar to you, if you were a hockey fan at any point in your life, Eddie Belfour was an NHL goalie. And, you know, he retired, you know, he's got his money. He's wondering like, hey, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And he decides to start a whiskey brand named after his family. So, you know, they they go into it. It's a true family affair. This is not one of those things where, you know, a celebrity slaps their name on it, you know, and, and they may taste a little bit, but they don't really get that deeply involved in the the sort of business and marketing and distilling. So when Ed Belfour decides to get into the business, him, his son, and his daughter go full in. Now, what I thought was cool was Ed Belfour went to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where I went to get my executive bourbon steward certification. They also run a week-long class of not only teaching you how to distill, um, but how to market and, and kind of how to make a business out of out of whiskey. So he was in the same classroom that I was in. I thought that was incredibly cool. And, and I didn't know that until I was doing the deep dive on this. Um, his son also went to Moonshine University and interned at a distillery called Woody Creek, which is in Colorado, I do believe. And I've gotten to taste some of their whiskeys. Their whiskeys are phenomenal. So, you know, they took the course. They did the internship. In fact, I believe the original batch of the Belfour Rye was whiskey actually made at Woody Creek. So that was the first release of it. Um, Ed Belfour's daughter manages operations and all the finances uh, for the company. So it really is a family affair, very, very hands on. Now the whiskey is being contract distilled at a distillery in North Carolina called Southern Distilling. Um, and they're making the whiskey for Ed Belfour 
according to his specs. So it's a 70% rye, 20% corn, 10% barley mash bill. It's an 18-month-old whiskey, which really, you know, it sounds young. And I know a lot of times bourbon drinkers get that kind of hard on for like, oh, it's it's not old enough. Like, the whiskey's ready when the whiskey's ready. And it's one of the things I love about, like, Jackie's Eye Can and the Old Forester mentality of the reason there's no age statements on Old Forester is they just believe that the whiskey is ready when it's ready. The age doesn't matter. It's the quality and is the juice good. But this particular rye is about 18 months. And we see that, you know, um, a, a lot of the the rye that are sourced from MGP tend to be about two years. Um, rarely you might see something climb up to four. But hey, if the whiskey's good in 18 months, bottle it and let's go. Uh, one of the other things that I found really interesting about this whiskey is that their spec is that they do a sweet mash fermentation. What does that mean? Well, most whiskeys are sour mash. That's kind of the standard in the business. I know things like Jack Daniels actually put sour mash on the label and you people think like it, you know, it's unique to Jack Daniels. Almost all of your bourbons and rice are done with a sour mash. And what that means is you've got all your, your sort of hard ingredients, you know, and you add your water and all your fermentation happens. And after you do the distillation, you're left with kind of the leftover spent grains and such. And what they do is they take a little bit of that and they put it into the next mash. One, it helps to kind of start the fermentation process it also keeps a consistency in the flavor profile from batch to batch. Kind of like when, you know, your grandmother makes sourdough bread. They use the same starter over and over and over. In a sweet mash, you start with the mash, you make the whiskey, you dump the spent grain, and then next time you go to make another batch, you start with a fresh batch of grain. It's a little bit more costly um so when you're looking at the price of this that's part of why it is you know people go like oh it's a two-year whiskey why is it so much well because they're doing a sweet mash process the only other sort of bigger commercial brand and i don't want to say big commercial brand but recognizable commercial brand that i know that uses a sweet mash process is peerless um and, you know, as they should, it's right there on the label. So when it's it's something like that, yeah, usually they're going to promote it. But I would say almost all, I would say 90 to 95% of your, your bourbons and your rice are a, a sour mash process. All right, that's enough about how the sausage is made. Let's get into it. I mean, this bottle, as I'm sitting here looking at it, is... It really is gorgeous. It looks like a skinny decanter. And I think what's great about it is when you finish the bottle, you could probably rinse it out, you know. And I do this with certain bottles that have, you know, great shapes that you can repurpose these bottles. And, you know, what you do is you just kind of run them under hot water. It kind of melts the glue behind the label and you can peel the label off. If you have a dishwasher, run the bottle through the dishwasher. That'll melt the glue and that label will come right off. You could reuse this bottle as a decanter, you know, fill it up with whatever whiskey you want, put it right in your bar. It looks like a beautiful decanter. Um, the label, by the way, uh, you know, it says Belfour right across the top and very sort of classic, like great Gatsby jazz era. Um, the font in that front label almost kind of looks like like the Remus repeal bottle it has that sort of gatsby-esque but then down the sides of the bottle it's got wings um like hawk wings which is the team that ed belfort played for in the nhl all right enough rambling it's got a great nose um you can tell that it's not it doesn't have quite that same kind of green again what a lot of people take for dill from some of those mgp 95 five rise it does have to me with rise i get a lot of like 
that chocolate mint or spearmint. It definitely has some of that that menthol mintiness to it. All right. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of flavor there. There's like a, it's like a, there's a green. Maybe you guys have heard me say this before. Where like sometimes I taste it in color, and there's a very sort of green element to this that I get, almost like an herbaceousness, but I also get like green Granny Smith apple to it, and a little bit of like spearmint, and then like a maybe a little bit of caramel on the back end. What's the proof on this? It's 94 proof. So, you know, there's nothing bashful. And I know everybody's chasing these proof points. The, you know, the, the proof seekers that are looking for 110, 120, and they just want to keep pushing the limits. That stuff is, it's, it's cool to taste. But again, you can't sit down and have a couple of glasses uh, with your friends. So, and if you do, it's probably not healthy for your liver to be consuming that high of an alcohol. Not that it's healthy for you to be consuming a mass amount of alcohol in general, but 94 proof is right where this should be. You know, and sometimes with young whiskeys from these smaller distilleries, you know, I get, you know, the BSO calls it wood water. Peter Thomas calls it shiny. I call it wet wood, like... A lot of times with these younger whiskeys and these smaller craft distilleries, I get that. And I don't get that with this. Um, if you told me this was a three-year rye, I wouldn't question you at all. It's got all the mature flavors. And maybe that has to do with you know the climate in North Carolina. I'm not sure if they're aging the whiskey there, if they're bringing it back to Louisville. I know they've invested in building their own distillery in Kentucky. Um, so eventually this brand will be making their own. Um, but I don't know quite honestly where they age it, if it's in North Carolina. I know it's bottled in Kentucky for them. And for a while it was just the rye. And on my most recent trip up to New Hampshire, I actually saw the Belfort bourbon. I didn't grab it because that's when I grabbed the blade and bow instead. But I'll be back up in New Hampshire very, very soon. So I'll be looking for that Belfort bourbon uh, as well. Price point on this. I think I bought it on sale. I want to say for like 60 bucks, which made it even more appealing to me, maybe a little bit more. I think MSRP is like 90 bucks. It's admittedly, that's a lot of money for a young whiskey. I get it. I don't know if it's worth 90 for 60. I take a flyer on it. In part because it's, I know now that it's good, but, you know, I'm going to reuse the bottle as well. It's got great packaging. So, you know, three-tiered rating system, is it good? Yes. Is it worth the money? If you can get it on sale, yeah, it's worth the money. I feel like at 90 bucks, it's a one-time buy. I would like it a little less expensive because I would like to be able to finish this bottle and get another one. But, you know. I feel like $90 bottles are things you typically buy once you drink and then you move on to something else. Um, does the bottle start a conversation? Hell yeah. If you guys haven't seen this bottle, seriously, go Google it right now. Check it out. It is just stylish. It's elegant. And I really appreciate the fact of, you know, I've seen some other celebrity whiskeys, you know, the Terry Bradshaw one where, you know, the label's all in black and it's in gold lettering. And, you know, there's kind of all these sort of allusions to his football career. And it's almost sort of kitschy. And by the way, the whiskey just wasn't that good. But with the Belfort, like you're thinking like, oh, this guy played hockey. Like he's probably going to put out some 86 proof, you know, cheap, sweet shooter whiskey. No, 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 no. This whiskey is made to be stylish, elegant, right down to the packaging. You can tell the amount of effort that went into making this look like a stylish, sophisticated whiskey. 
and they nail it. So yeah, the bottle starts a conversation without a doubt. And to be honest, if somebody sees this bottle, they're going to probably assume that you paid a hundred bucks for it anyways. So I guess backtracking that does kind of make it worth the money because it's going to make people think you spent a ton of money on it. Uh, especially for anybody who doesn't know the name Belfour. Um, yeah. Uh, on the grading system, is it a taster? Is it a sipper or a drinker? It's a drinker. I could sit down and pour, you know, three glasses of this. Like I'm not pouring one and putting it back in the cabinet and locking the door behind myself. I could sit and drink this, you know, have a couple of glasses and definitely, definitely enjoy this. Yeah, that's a great one. All right. One more bottle from my New Hampshire trips. And this is another great one that, you know, I keep hearing rumors that they're coming to Massachusetts. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but this is New Riff. Now, my first experience with New Riff was, you know, I read all the publications and, you know, watch the same YouTube videos that you guys do. And so you get to see brands like New Riff, um, Jep the Creed. That's how I first heard about Rabbit Hole, you know, uh, Cooper's Craft, even Blade and Bow. So you kind of see that these things are out there, um, but you just never really see them live and in person. And then when I was down in Kentucky, yeah, they were everywhere. And they're kind of a, you know, a hot craft distillery and what i love about them you know when they started putting out whiskey is everything they did was bottled in bond which is amazing that a new whiskey brand is committed to the standards of bottled in bond and that's what they do until they get to their single barrel stuff and that's what i've got here i have a new riff single barrel bourbon and again, what I've got in front of me is probably not what you're going to have in front of you because they're single barrels. So every barrel is different. You're going to find different proof points. Um, but yeah, it's the same kind of base juice. So here's some uh, yeah, stuff on New Riff. 65% corn, 30% rye, 5% barley. So fairly high rye mash bill. Um, the guys who own this were former retailers who just realized like, Hey, we're going to do this for ourselves. They are an independently owned company, which means they get to do things their way. There's no rush to market. There's no pressure from Diageo or Pernod Ricard or Constellation to make a brand. They're just making whiskey that they like the way they like it, the way they want to make it. And yeah, they're committed to the Bottled and Bond Act. So this particular bottle is 111.1 proof. Uh, I like the fact that the barrel number is on there. Aged at least four years, says so right on the back. So I don't want to hear any whining about how it's not old enough. It's right in the sweet spot of where it needs to be. I love the bottle. Again, very stylish, kind of frosted at the top. And then that frost kind of just sort of blends into like a brown and an unfrosted glass. And the name New Riff is sort of like a new riff on bourbon. And they're doing all kinds of stuff with different grains now, uh, all kinds of specialty whiskeys. Again, they're just making the whiskeys that they want to make um, the way they want to make them. And then put them out there and, hey, like it or not. They don't care. They just want to keep making good whiskey, which they are doing. All right, here we go. So, so good. And again, barrel proof. It's got a little heat, a little tingle on the tongue there. Not too bad, though. And really, for that high alcohol, the level of sweetness, you know, rye adds a little bit of sweetness. You're getting a big, spicy presence. Not a green presence, like like pink peppercorns, almost like that cinnamon candy, red hots. But then, like, a sweet, like, 
buttercream, caramel, nutty. Yeah, it's like it's like if you had a, a box of Cracker Jacks and mixed in there were Red Hots and the Cracker Jacks. This whiskey is, yeah, it's spot on. And again, the whole kind of point of what I'm talking about here is like, no, these aren't happy. I get that. But these are whiskeys that are are good. We don't get to see every day. So if you're out in New Hampshire, in Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York, Maine, Vermont, if you're in another part of the country, if you're down in Louisville and you come across a bottle of New Riff, yeah, grab it because it's fantastic. You know, if you come across Belfour or Blade and Bow, they're fantastic. If you come across Smoky Quartz, eh, just keep walking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the point of this is that, you know, this is the kind of hunting that I like to do. Uh, and I know a lot of you out there like to do as well. So three-tiered rating system. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Uh, is it worth the money? I forget what it costs. Um, I want to say in the $45 range, you know, it might. I might have paid a little bit more for the single barrel, but worth every penny to get a single barrel, barrel-proof whiskey. Does the bottle start a conversation? It absolutely does. Again, especially if you're from Mass and, you know, you've got friends who are coming over. They may have never seen this bottle. It's very stylish. It's very elegant. It looks like you probably spent $100 on it. The packaging is on point. So, yeah, it hits all three of those. Now, is it a taster, a sipper, or a drinker? I'm going to go sipper on this, again, because it's elevated proof point. You know, at 111, I might have two of these. Um, but I don't want to sit and drink these all night. This is a good kind of primer. There's a ton of flavor. It's a ton of sweetness. And I'm probably going to keep it to a sipper just because of that big sweetness is going to make this dangerous that I know if I'm not smart enough to put this down, I'm going to continue to put it down. And then, you know, I'm going to have a hard time waking up tomorrow. So, yeah, it definitely hits all three points. On one side, and then it's a definite sipper. You could drink this all night. I would have no problem drinking this all night. I'm just, you know, keeping it to a sipper to kind of protect myself from from myself, I guess. All right, so there it is. Four whiskeys that, they're whiskeys that I like to hunt, things like this. Um, again, I know they're not Weller or Pappy or Birthday Bourbon or Old Fitz or you know, Michter's 10, things like that, that people go hunting for. But what's great about hunting for these bottles is you can actually find them in a wild. And, you know, they're not marked up by an extra hundred bucks just because like they're out there, they're available, they're good, they're interesting, they're different, um, and they're, they're fun and they make great additions to your bar and yeah i guess the other point is be adventurous go out find these bottles take chances on things that maybe you've never heard of and who knows you you might find a gem out there and the joy is in trying and and finding something that you can sit down with your friends kind of analyze break down and have some conversation about (sighs) all right i'm gonna wrap it from there As always, thank you guys so much for, I don't know, indulging me, for going on this journey with me, for being on the ride, being part of this. Uh, I appreciate it more than I can ever, ever say. Uh, You guys come in by the store and were messaging me saying that, you know, like you listen to the podcast, you love it, you know, and, and those things just, you know, encourage me and they keep me inspired to keep doing what I'm doing here and and until nobody's listening, I'm going to I'm going to keep talking. So, all right, I'm going to wrap it and uh, finish off the rest of this new riff. Thank you guys again. And uh, next week, Tuesday night tastings. What a special one it's going to be. Um, yeah, I've already recorded it. 
because I had to. I, I just couldn't wait to taste these whiskeys. I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Um, so we'll check back in with you uh, next Tuesday. All right. Cheers.